Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. The great message bringer. It's my official new title. Yes, we should. Great idea, Marie. She said we should recognize Marilyn, who every week, for as long as I can remember, sets up the communion elements every single week by herself. And we need to give her a huge, huge thank you. Marilyn. Yeah, I'll echo what Bob said. There's so many people around here that are very hidden in their service, but they are uh, not, uh, not unimportant. They're significant both to the South and to the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? Mm. Hey, guys, we made it. 2019. We did it. Turn around to the person next to you and said, we did it. High five. High fives all around. We did it, guys. We made it. And here we are. Here we are today. So have you guys ever uh, heard two different versions of the same story? Over and over again. Uh, maybe for some of you, uh, have you ever had the experience where you read a fictional book and then like a couple years later, everybody else caught on, they, they released the motion picture and you went to see it and you were just, just horrified how, 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 how unaware they were of the actual details of the story, right? And uh, very, a lot of strong opinions come out at those points in time where it's, you know, there's, there's a discrepancy, there's a different telling, uh, i.e., uh, the movie Noah a couple years ago. <laughs> Most of us have read the original story, and we were really excited to go see the movie Noah in the theaters, and, uh, and wow, that was something else. That was literally something else. <laughs> and I go back through my Bible, where are there rock monsters in here? <laughs> Looking through the footnotes, and uh, wow, that's a, that's a different version. That's a different version that I remember. Have you ever had the um, the experience of of uh, turning on Fox News or CNN or whatever your go-to source is, and, uh, and you read or listen to one story of a current event, and then you go to another news station, and you read about the same story, and you're, you're shocked because of how different the telling is of the exact same event. Two very different interpretations of the, the very same thing. Um, and that's something we experience a lot as well. So we have to reconcile versions, Right? Another, uh, another way we hear this is if you ever spend time with lo- lifelong friends, maybe you went back to a high school reunion or got together with some childhood friends and you're recollecting stories of your past, stories of the childhood, and uh, you're retelling these stories and you're surprised to, to find that they're remembering totally different details than you are about the very same thing. Now, this, this happened uh, with Megan and I, probably on a lot of things, but definitely as it relates to uh, our, the, our proposal, when I proposed to her. Um, it's, it's, it's great, actually, for my sake, because when I tell the story, I just say, you know, uh, on December 23rd, uh, 2005, we went up to Estes Park, and, you know, we go, th- you know, we had a day together, and went for a casual stroll through Estes Park, and we ended up at the Stanley Hotel, and I proposed to her, and she said yes, right? And that's like, that's a great story. That's like, that's good enough for me. Now, when she tells a story, she remembers things that I didn't even know were a part of this story. And in her telling of the story, 
you know, after this beautiful day together in Estes Park where I was swooning her and the whole thing, now that she, she wouldn't say that, we ended up at Stanley Hotel. And she, when she tells the story, when I got down on one knee and I said, yeah, she, she literally says that, that the wind stops, right? And the clouds parted. And, you know, birds, a little bird came and chirped on, you know, on her shoulder. No, she didn't say that. But she starts remembering details of, like, what actually happened. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go with that one. That's way better than my story. And it makes me look way better, too. So, um, but versions are really funny. Uh, we have different versions of, of, of events. And, and that's, that's how we remember life. And Erwin McManus says this. He said that as we go through life, there's really a couple different narratives that we're actually dealing with. What happened in our interpretation of what happened, right? There's what actually happened in our life, and then our perception, our interpretation, what we believed about what happened. And oftentimes, uh, our interpretation of what happened in our life is actually more powerful than what happened. The stories that we tell ourselves have a way of holding us and gripping us for years to come, for better or for worse. Do you guys know what I'm saying? The stories that we rehearse in our minds about what we've experienced, what we've been through, what we've walked through, um, sometimes, uh, you know, places where uh, we've been hurt or pain or loss, or even places of great victory, the way we remember those things, the way we interpret those events, what we, what we come to believe about ourselves, about the world, about God, has incredible power in how we live. The stories we tell ourselves, they shape us. And why does that matter today? Because this is the last Sunday of 2019. But even more interesting, interestingly, it's the last Sunday of the decade, guys. The 2010s are over, Right? And, uh, and that's an interesting thought because, you know, naturally we're in this time as a culture where it's a natural time to start reflecting, right? Reflecting not only on 2019 and the details and the contents of this year, uh, but we have an opportunity to reflect on the last decade, the last 10 years. And I'm just, just curious, uh, how many people... Um, you know, when, when you were sitting uh, wherever you were in 2010 thinking about the next decade, how many of you thought you would have experienced what you've experienced in the next 10 years? Very few of us. Not a single hand up in the room. How many of you could have anticipated what the next 10 years would have brought? Not many of us. And while there's nothing magical about a calendar you're changing and you, you get the new calendar, you flip it and the numbers change. There's nothing necessarily um, explicitly spiritual about that, but it does mark time and mark seasons. And it is a time of natural reflection. And even in the life, even in our spiritual formation as disciples of Jesus, God shapes us over seasons and times. And it's important that we actually look back and reflect. See, Psalm 77 the psalmist writes this. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of, of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And all throughout Scripture, uh, we see uh, God's uh, invitation to his people to remember. Why? Because, because sin, the sinful condition, that initiated a, f- a certain forgetfulness among us. Have you guys ever experienced that? A forgetfulness as it relates to God's work in your life. And so somebody said it one time like this. They said, sin initiated 
Sin initiated forgetfulness, but Jesus came to bring back our memory. Sin initiated a forgetfulness of who we are, of God's original design, his original intention, his purposes, his work, his presence, his nearness. Sin initiated a forgetfulness, but the work of Jesus serves to bring back our memory of what was original. Amen? Some of you need to write that down. It's very important. And so there's this there's this invitation to remember, and, and to be clear here, as we, we, as we talk about reflecting, some of us cringe a little bit because, you know, we're worried about getting stuck in the past. And so we, we talk about, you know, I don't want to dwell on the past. I don't want to be stuck in days. I just want to move forward, right? Even Paul said, you know, forgetting what lies behind and pressing up what lies forward, I press on towards the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And, and so, you know, Paul would, you know, talk about just is moving ahead, keeping our eyes on the prize. But I, I would say even Paul talked about, you know, uh, in, in the Scripture, even, even in the New Testament, talked about remembering you know, the former things that have been laid aside, but remembering God and all of those things. And it's important in our lives, and especially in seasons like this, the only way to move forward with health and strength and boldness is that we're able to reflect with health and strength and boldness. The only way to envision a future with God in it is to reflect back and see God at work all the way along, right? So I want to talk about that for a second. And if you have your Bibles, um, open up to uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Okay? So again, our invitation is not to dwell on the past. We don't just rehearse the past as if to put salt in wounds. But we reflect on the past to remember the nearness and the work of God in our lives. To honor His work in shaping us to who we have become. And... As we remember, though, for each of us in the room, there are multiple ways of interpreting your life. There's what happened in your life and then your interpretation of what's happened in your life, right? And so today, really the encouragement here is as we reflect, as we take time as the people of God to reflect, especially in this next few days leading up to to New Year's, it's important that we not only remember what happened, what we remember God's version of what happened. Okay? Now, there's a beautiful story that gets to the heart of this, right in the center of the gospel. Arguably, this story, if one story could be told that, that, that would summarize, that would synthesize all of the goodness, the beauty, the robust life available in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would be the story of the prodigal son, which is not, uh, not particularly well-named. It's really the story of the, the outrageously loving father in Luke chapter 15. And it's a funny story because you've most likely heard the story a lot of times, and you've heard a lot of different versions of the story, Right? And within this story, there's characters, and they all have different versions. That's what we want to get at, because God, I believe, God wants to teach us about paying attention to how he sees the contents of our life, all right? So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read this, and then we'll go through it together. Verse, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> and he said there was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided up the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. So reading this, uh, naturally we, um, we run into really three different characters, and I would say three different versions of reality. And so we know that the younger brother, um, with his desires, with what he hungered for in his heart, he asked his father for his inheritance so he could go try to uh, fulfill those desires in the life, in the good life, in living the good life, right? And he, he, he took what was his, and he, he went, and he used all of it up, and he was left with himself. And we read, he comes to a certain point where it says he came to his senses as he was feeding the pigs and desiring to eat what the pigs were eating. I mean, that's like bottom of the barrel right there. I mean, that's, that's as low as you go is when you're hanging out with pigs and you're wishing you were eating what they were eating. That's a bad, that's a bad day. It's a really bad day. And it says he, he came to his senses. And he said, you know what? What I thought was real is not real. I, I'm going to I'm gonna go back to my father because even his servants are treated better than this. But here's what I'm going to do. Because I have sinned so badly, I'm going to go back to him, and I'm going to acknowledge that I don't even deserve to be there. And that's going to make him feel way better, right? Um, and maybe I'll stand a chance. If I can just piece together, if I can string together the right types of apologies and get the, the right words together, if I can say it with the tears streaming down my cheek and, you know, in, in, in the right remorseful tone, 
uh, my father is going to receive me back in, right? You ever had a conversation like that? Have, have you ever prepped for a conversation where you found yourself rehearsing it in the shower beforehand? Like with your boss or your coworker, or your wife or husband or, you know, somebody in your life? Um, where <laughs> those important conversations, you're kind of going over that, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this. And it's totally hypothetical. And then you catch yourself, and you're like, ah, I feel dumb, right? Well, this is what he's doing. He's rehearsing a conversation. He's rehearsing a narrative. He's, he's, he's understanding what he's experienced through a certain lens, and he's preparing himself to come and bring that version back to his father, Right? And so that's what he does. He, he shows back up to the house. And he says, he starts into his speech, right? Father, I have sinned against you of heaven and before you. And part of his interpretation is a newfound identity based on this, this narrative. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so while he's going into his version of the story, though, we read that the father more or less interrupts his son because his father is coming from a totally different perspective, a totally different version. And immediately upon seeing his son, he sends his servants to go get the robe and the ring and the fatted calf and says, no, 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 no. This is a celebration is about to ensue. And while he's, the son is preparing his version of the story, the father breaks in and says, no, no, no. He says, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he, has, now he is found. So what happens is the son is confronted with his own version of what he has done in his own, his own life circumstances, and he confronts the father, and the father says, no, 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 there's no reason really to be remorseful because something that was dead is now alive. Something that was lost is now found. And so they're confronted. The, the son is now confronted with a new version of his story that he didn't even consider to be a possibility. And so he has to make that decision. Am I going to switch my version of my story to be in alignment with the father's version of my story or I'm gonna keep what I know to be my version of the story because that's all I know? Because from the father's point of view, there's only a celebration to take place because what was lost is now found, right? But there's still a decision point for the son. He has to recognize that the father, I have one version of the story, but the father has a very different version of what has happened. And I have the chance to actually align with his version of my story. I get to align with the love of God and let that shape who I become from here on out, Right? But that's not the only uh, character in the story. You see, his older brother is watching the whole time. And, and we, we see that as, as, as the party, as, as he starts hearing the house music in the background, you know, from the dance hall down the road, he, he's, he's confused, the older brother. He's confused. What is happening? He doesn't know what's going on, and so he sends a, so he doesn't even go to explore. He sends a servant to go figure out what all the commotions are. He doesn't even want to go into the party because he doesn't know what's going on, and they come back and they report to him, no, 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 your brother has been found. And, and this, this, this upsets the older brother because he has been living in his own version of a story his entire life. And in his version of the story, he has been faithful, he's been endurant, he's done all the right things, he's done everything the father's asked him to do, and, 
And upon this new celebration, it, pr- it provokes this, what we would call a Kairos moment, where he realizes, rather than celebration, he's feeling anger in his heart towards the celebration. He's feeling anger, and he doesn't know why, until the father comes out and entreats him to come into the party. And that's when the older brother starts into his version of reality. And he says this to the father, look, listen here, dad. And then you can hear it in his tone. You can, you can just hear it in the, in the way the story is told. He says, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And so in, in the older brothers, he, he comes to present, this is my version of my past. This is my version of what I've experienced this far. This is what my version of everything that I either deserve or what should be coming to me or what should be right and what, what version of reality should be right. And once again, the father responds, you see. Once again, the, the another, the, the another son presents his version, but the father has to confront the son with a different version of his story. And here's what the father says. In the father's version, his story is, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Right? So in one version, in one version of this story is there's been labor and faithfulness and endurance, and it should result in reward, it should result in treasure, it should result in affection and affirmation. And in the father's version, he said, yeah, all those things were there, but all the affection and affirmation, everything that I have was yours all along, and you didn't see it the entire time. And so why, why does all this matter? Why does all this matter today? Again, we have different versions of events of our life, of a 2019, of a 2010s, right? We, who we are, who we aren't, what we've done, what that means for our future, our worth, our value, our significance, our wrongdoing, our shortcomings, our victories, our accomplishments. We have this whole treasure chest full of things that we believe to be true about our lives, right? Things we believe about ourselves and we cling to, and, and we believe all sorts of things about ourselves, but what happens is, as we come to the Father, the gospel, what the gospel does, it confronts our version of the story with God's version of our story. And why does it matter? Because I believe God wants nothing more for us here this morning as, as his people. I believe God wants nothing more than for each of us to live as deeply loved sons and daughters. This means that we must come to the Father and say, Father, I th- this is my version, this is what I think happened, has happened in my life, but Father, can you give me your interpretation through the re- of my life through the lens of your great love for me? God, this is what I think has happened. This is my best understanding of what just happened this last year. But Father, what I need you to do is to show me what was true the entire time that I haven't yet seen. Father, I need you to realign me with what your version of reality should be and let that shape me. 
Because listen, God, is, he, he's shaping, the end goal for all of us, the end goal, we, there's a lot of things that we strive for that we want to achieve. We start setting our goals, and goals are great. I do goals, I love them, right? I love all that stuff. I love the planning, I love the goals, I love them. And we should do them, you should all do them. But where this is going for all of us, the, the end game for us is that God is shaping us to become people of great love. All of us. And that's what he's after. And everything in our life, I'm not saying it's all from God, but depending on our interpretation and how we let God interact with us, even in the pain and the suffering, it all has the potential to shape us into people of great love. And I believe that's what God's doing and that's what he wants to continue to do for us. And so, so as we reflect on a year, this is why this matters. We're, we're, we're turning a corner into a new season, into a new time, into a new year, and it's awesome, into a, a brand new decade. And what I love about 2020 is 2020 just built into the name. It has to do with vision, clarity of vision, clarity of sight, right? Come on, who wants 2020 vision in the room? I do. I remember when I first got these glasses, I was shocked at what I didn't see before I had them. I remember when I first got my glasses, I, I got them because I, my vision was starting to go bad and I kind of wanted a different look just to be full, full honesty. And, and I got them and as soon as I got them, I'm driving out of a parking lot with my glasses on and I'm just looking around at the pavement and the blades of grass and the mountains. And I'm like, whoa, that was there this entire time? <laughs> Holy smokes! Everything was just a low-res image before that, right? Come on, how many of you want to see clearly? I believe that's something God wants to do. Even the number 20, it's not a, it's not a number you, you hear about a lot in the Bible, but if you're a Bible number person, I know a lot of you guys are, and I am too. If you're a Bible number person, the number 20 does have to do, it's associated with a trial, a period of waiting, and if it's successfully completed, the, the reward is generous and full of God's love. All right? It has to do with a time of testing being over and being rewarded with God's love. Double that, 2020. Right? And I believe that God has more for us as we look forward, but just, believe, but just hear me out. From a pastoral perspective, it's really important for us if we want to see more of God in our future, we have to be able to see the work of God in our past. Looking back prayerfully allows us to look forward purposefully. Okay? And here's why that matters. Because in a few days, all of you are going to be at parties, maybe, unless you just don't do that on New Year's Eve. That's fine, too. Some of you just prefer the sleep. Um, and I'm almost there. Um, but you'll be toasting everybody and guarantee either you or somebody with, you're with is like, woo, glad 2019's over, am I right? Right, and they're gonna toast to that. And they're gonna be ready for the next year. They did the same thing in 2018 and 2007. It's the same guy. They did the exact same thing. And they're always disappointed with the last year and hoping that this next year goes well. And they're always shocked to see that every year is a mixed bag. But here's what I'm saying. How much better is it to be people that no matter what the year brought us or what the decade brought us, we're able to look back and say, yeah, there were some things. There were some pressures. There were some unexpected things. There's things I still don't understand, but God was with me the entire time. Come on. Yeah. 
He was there the entire time. So I'm not going to dishonor my past with however uncomfortable it was. Do not dishonor your past. Some of you, you don't like talking about your past. It feels like a wound. There's things that you just like to avoid and move on. But I'm telling you, do not dishonor your past because your father was with you. And in a place of prayer, I believe, as you begin to prayerfully reflect on God's version of your past, he wants to heal your narrative. And the healing of your narrative is going to open your eyes to see God at work in your future. Come on. That's what God's up to. Now, some friends of ours <clears throat> up in Redding, California, are going through something very similar, very real uh, circumstance like this uh, right now. They're walking this out, and they're having to choose between narratives. Some of you are familiar with this story. And uh, this, this involves some worship leaders out of Bethel Church in, in Redding, California, and some, a lot of these guys are our friends. Uh, one of the worship leaders, we sing her songs uh, on Sunday mornings uh, just a couple weeks ago. Her two-year-old toddler um, uh, died unexpectedly. Heart stopped beating. Okay, her name is Olive Highland Genthal. And some of you are familiar with the story. I've been tracking through the story. And again, I bring this up because we are connected in the global body. We sing her songs. This is a huge thing. Two weeks before Christmas, her, two, her two-year-old just unexpectedly stops breathing. The doctors pronounce her dead. And so she sends out a message to their uh, friends and family, their church family, but their global family, they say, hey, listen, we, we need you to pray. Um, our daughter has died. The doctors have pronounced her dead. But what we're calling for is the global church to come together, and we're going to pray for her resurrection. Okay? So she sends this, this, this text out um, just a couple weeks ago as a bold ask. Uh, but what happens, is it starts going viral. And some of you guys have seen this. You've seen the pictures all over the, the internet if, you're, if you do social media stuff. If not, I'll, I'll explain this to you. So it goes viral, and all over the world, prayers are coming and people are reposting. All over the world, I kid you not, people are crying out to God for, this, for breath to come back into this little girl's lungs. Okay? And so a day passes, and then they post again, it's a day two. This is a great day for resurrection. And then, the, the, you know, the prayers keep coming in. People are contending. Meanwhile, there's something happening in this period of waiting. As they're praying for resurrection for this little girl, something starts happening. And in Reading, in their, their local community, as they're processing what's going on, the, the response, the, the knee-jerk, the initial response, yeah, I mean, it's not a thing of avoiding what's happening, but they're like, God, you have called us to heal the sick and to raise the dead. It's in the scripture. We're going to do that. And not only are we going to do that, but we're going to lift our voices in worship. And so they just self-organize night and day prayer. Just night and day prayer over and over again. And, they're just, and it's not just to raise her from the dead. It was because, God, you're worthy of our worship, even in the midst of tragedy, right? So they start doing that. Day three comes, and, there's no, and, and they send out the prayer. She's not raised yet. But they said, this is still a good day. Continue to pray with us. And more people start joining in. More people start joining in. And they're posting videos of their worship services, and people are just going berserk, like in worship. I mean, people are, you can just feel the hunger and the fire and the passion. And it continues to grow. And then day four comes by, and the little girl still hasn't woken up. And they're praying for life. They're praying for resurrection. 
revive this little girl. All of wake up. That was the hashtag. All of wake up. And day five, nothing. Now, as I was watching, and if some of you are following this, there's different things happening at this point in time. Because you start wondering, okay, at what point do they stop praying? At what point, what happens if she doesn't wake up? What does that mean? What does that mean for the church? What does that mean for the witness of, of Christ on earth? What does any of that mean? Um, what, what about the family? Don't they need to grieve? So there's a lot of questions that start to come up, and they got a lot of backlash the last couple of weeks for even praying for resurrection. They got so much criticism. I mean, it's just absolutely insane how much, how criticized they've been for this. But more recently, as they decided to move forward, they decided to move forward with an actual memorial service, a funeral for this little girl. And upon days of contending, both for her resurrection, but just being before the Lord, they had to decide what is, the ver- what is, what is God actually up to here? And as you can imagine, there's a couple versions of what, what just happened. Because those on the outside looking in say, see, you prayed for resurrection and nothing, nothing happened. And you got yourself all worked up and God was totally silent. And that's, that's what a lot of people were thinking as they were looking in. But as you hear the community, the local community, as they've been processing, yeah, they've been processing grief that's been real. They're not avoiding that. They're entering into that, which is really good. But in this whole process, they realize we were praying for a little girl to wake up. And while her body didn't wake up, we all woke up. There was a resurrection that happened. It wasn't in this little girl, but it was among us. You see, as they're reflecting, as these guys continue to reflect on the last couple weeks as a community, their love for God and their trust in the goodness of God has not diminished. It's actually only gotten stronger, and it's actually ignited this global movement right now. It's fanned this flame that, God, we still believe that you are good. We still believe that you resurrect, and we don't know why you answer some prayers, and others don't seem to be answered. We don't know why some things happen, and others don't, but what we do know is this, that you are with us the entire time, and maybe we were praying for this one thing to happen, but you were doing something much bigger. You see, it's a different version of the story. God was with them the whole time. God is with us the whole time, the the whole time. And so when we pray for dead things to come alive, when we pray for resurrection in our life, when we pray for healing, yeah, the prayers that we pray don't always get explicitly answered the way we hope. That doesn't mean we stop in faith. In fact, we just continue to come back to the Father, trusting that he's good. But come on, guys, you have to remember that God is up to something bigger, and he's still resurrecting hearts and, and filling our hearts with faith and putting breath back into our lungs because he is preparing us for his purposes, which is much bigger than our prayers sometimes. He's preparing us for his purposes on earth, which is still resurrection and life and renewal until the end of time. Come on. It's a different version of the story. See, they could be crushed right now, but they're choosing to press in. They're choosing to press in. Now, what that means for us is we reflect on our stories. As we reflect on our stories, we can see God at work in our stories, but even the places that we're crushed, first of all, we need to know that God was with you. And as you cry tears of pain, God is crying tears of pain with you. The compassion of the Lord is relentless. He is with you. But God has been with you as well, shaping you, forming you, 
into his image the whole time. And I can stand here today, there's things even I did not expect this last 10 years. (laughs) I mean, a lot of amazing things and a lot of things like, wow, didn't see that coming. There's been a few battle scars. Let's just put it like that. A few battle scars. But I can tell you, the person I am today I would not be who I am today without both the presence of God but the pressure of God. And his allowing certain things to take place, I have not understood. I don't even think all of them were from him. But walking, allowing him into these, my story to walk with me in those and to out of that shape a life, shape a treasure, and shape a gift that can be given to the people I love, to, the, to you, to, to the people I share my life with, to the world around me. And I can say that very confidently today. I am thankful for the highs and I am thankful for the lows because God has been with me the entire time. And the same is true for you. And so this morning, it's, it's, it's just one last push as we end a decade together. I didn't want to invite the band up and I want to sing this song again about the goodness of God. But in the next few days, I want you to take time to reflect. Don't just push forward without taking time to go backwards. It's okay. You don't need to stay stuck in the past. You don't need to dwell in the past. You don't need to rehearse anything. But to ask a few questions, God, this last year or this last decade, where were you at work? What was this about? Where have you been shaping me? Where have you been forming me? What is still unresolved that you would like to bring resolution to? What were you up to that I didn't understand? And God, give me a glimpse of what all of that means for where you're taking me and taking us together as a people. Because again, I, I believe great things for 2020. I hope you do too. I hope you do too. It's going to be full of God's love. It's going to be full of activation. And I will say this, I I do believe that there will continue to be a sense. The reason why we look back to look forward is because a lot of times God allows things to die in our life because they won't serve us moving forward. And we have to recognize when things come to an end, seasons come to an end, it's only because he's preparing us for something new. And for all of us, there's things that we might process as loss, but I believe that God wants to give you revelation in places where he's maybe allowing things to transition so that you can actually step into the fullness of what he's made you for moving forward. He will not allow us to keep things that don't belong. So let me pray for us this morning, and we're going to sing. And I want us to sing our way out of 2019. And we're going to sing about the goodness of God because that's what he wants to ingrain and instill in us. Amen? Hey, let's stand. Let's stand together. Take the hand of the person next to you. We'll have hand sanitizer in the back. It's okay. I'm joking. So God, as a people... As a people, we come to you, God, and we come to this landing place over a marking in time, over a year, over a decade. And I thank you, Lord God, 
that this is a time we get to recount and remember the mighty deeds of God in our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we reflect, as we process, as we actually look back to recount your deeds, Lord God, that you would show us things that we have never seen before. I thank you, God, for opened vision in the name of Jesus. Where we've been bummed out, Lord God, that we can't see the future, I pray that you would open us to see your work in our past, to see you at work all the way along, shaping us and molding us for things that we didn't expect. And I thank you for faith to rise, Lord God. We honor 2019 in the name of Jesus. We honor the 2010s in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you have been with us the entire time. You have never, ever let us go. And we speak to places of loneliness. We speak to places of regret. And we thank you, Lord God, that the pleasure and, and the fullness of the heart of God be with us every step of the way. And we thank you, Lord God, you've taught us to depend on you. You've taught us to trust in you. You've taught us to rejoice in you. You've taught us to worship when we didn't feel like it. You've taught us to give when we thought we were lacking. You've taught us to be joyful when we were a little bit down. You've taught us a lot of things, Lord God, and we are thankful, Lord God, that you, your original intent for our lives is only, being, is only growing and swelling to the surface, God, because you're letting old things pass away so new things can come in the name of Jesus. So I just pray over every heart and every life and every confession, God, as we move from one season to the next, Lord God, that is full of your presence and full of your power and full of your glory every step of the way, Lord God. I thank you that we are your people and we have not been left alone in the name of Jesus. And there are only good days ahead. And yeah, we, we know that 2020 is going to have stuff that's unexpected too, but we thank you that we will not walk through the fire by ourselves, but you will be in the fire every step of the way with us, God. So Jesus, today we sing that you are good. You are good. Let's declare this. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my son. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my son. You are good.
is forever, God. And we thank you, God, that we have been recipients of your great love. We have been recipients of your goodness, Lord God. Open our eyes and wonder. Open our eyes, Lord God, to see you present and at work in all things, God. We love you, Lord Jesus. We give this year to you. We give you everything, Lord God, and we thank you that as we transition, God, into a new time, Lord God, that you are going to continue to let your, your hunger, desire for you well up in our lives, Lord God. Just pray for a stirring across this place, Lord God, that you would stir us, Lord Jesus. Stir us in secret places. Stir us when we're alone to seek after you, to hunger after you, to know your presence and your goodness in all things, Lord God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we, st- we take a step into 2020 full of confidence that you have gone before us and you have prepared a way for us in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord God. And it's in Jesus' mighty name. We pray, we call on, we bless, we glorify. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on.